time for your week daily look at the NBA and your Charlotte Hornets. It's time for the Hive O'Clock Alarm. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, Hornets fans, we didn't have to wait too long for Game 5. It's here. It's game day. I'm Doug Branson. I'm here with David Walker. It's the Hive O'Clock Alarm, and we are excited for Game 5. It presents the opportunity to get one step closer to the second round for the Charlotte Hornets, but they have to do something they haven't done all series, and that's when in Miami. David, I have a Nicola Batum injury update if you would like it, but only if you would like it. I would love it. Hit me. So uh, he spoke to Matt and Matt on Hornets.com, and he is doing some running and some jumping. He's got that foot in the shoe. He spoke to them uh, yesterday in Miami. And he's even doing some change of direction. So Nick Batum, hopeful that uh, he can get into Game Five. He's, I think, he's going to go through pregame routines. But yeah. I assume it's all about because you get that foot into the shoe. That's step one. You get in some workout. That's step two. But then you have to see how that foot reacts to all of that working out and changing of direction. He was even shooting yesterday. So you have to see how that foot reacts in the morning, and then you have to see uh, if you know swelling goes down and how you feel you know, pre-game. All this kind of stuff factors in. But the the point is that he is doing things, and so that means that there is a possibility that he could play in Game Five. Now, David, I would ask you, and we sort of touched on this a little bit last night on Hive Talk Live. Would he come off the bench? I think that's a big question. Does Steve Clifford leave this starting lineup that won two games in Charlotte in place and bring Nick Batum off the bench while he recovers from this foot injury? Because, and I'll just say this and then I'll let you respond, he's not going to be 100%. Even if he plays right. uh, uh, tonight, he will not be 100%. So, so what do you think? And that's the thing. I mean, to me, if he's going to play – and not be a hundred percent. Why is he, why is he playing? Right. And, and like, so you go through what Clifford said after games one and two, it doesn't really matter who starts as much as it does just who's playing when. So, I mean, to me, if he's coming back and he's ready to go, then I'm starting him as I would normally, but you know, it's hard to argue against the success you've had with this bigger lineup. And that's not to say you can't play the bigger lineup when you want to. Now I might keep big Allen there because I think he's been a, a bit of a pest for, Hassan Whiteside. So I don't know how that would affect other people. That would be my take on it, though. If he's good to go and he's considered fine, now if it's a thing where, well, we'll roll him out there and, and we'll see how he does, then that's a different conversation. That sounds like more of where we are. So if that's how you're looking at it, then, yeah, you know, you're going to try him. If he can go, great. If not, you know, you shelve him for for game six when you may look at starting him again. But So that's where I fall on If he's good to go, you start him. If it's a wait and see type thing, I mean, I tend to lean to not even not even messing with it because, like you said, you don't know how the foot's going to react. So that's maybe where they're standing on it. Yeah, no, I agree with you, David, in some sense. But I I think this is not going to be a situation where you worry about you know, messing up a groove or or anything like that by right. by bringing him on the bench or even putting him in the starting lineup because so many adjustments have been made in this series and the Hornets have been made so uncomfortable by Miami's defensive schemes 
that really I, I think they would be ready for for any kind of change to their own lineup. Now, I, I'll say this. I think Nicholas Batum can have an impact on the bench because there were times in that game four where the bench could have used an extra shooter or or someone who could really someone who could facilitate even more than shoot. And I also think that Miami is going to find a way to contain Jeremy Lin when he steps on the court in Miami for game five. I don't I don't think that they will uh, actively let him drive the lane like he did in in game four. And so I think it would be helpful to have Nick out there uh, attracting some extra attention or if they do put the extra attention on Lynn when he drives to the lane having Nick just out there in the corner shooting threes you know, it doesn't he doesn't have to be the dynamic running jumping superhero Nick Batum that we've seen in the regular season but if he can provide a little extra shooting maybe draw some attention away from Kemba or or Jeremy Lynn that could be beneficial to the Hornets in game five yeah, for sure. I just think uh, Batum's real uh, addition or real real value to this team has been more on his creation, whether it's the shot creation or just with the dribble drive or the passing. So, I mean, to just make him a standstill three-point shooter is okay. Um, I just think he brings more to the table in those other areas. But, look, if you could – I mean, I guess they're looking at it. If you can get Nick Batum back in there, he's been such a big part of their success and he's such a good player that you try and get what you can from him, right? I mean, he's you, you want to be adding to the roster, not taking away at this point in the season. So what we can say we know is that he wants to go. I mean, that's just, that's evident from all of this, right? Yeah. And he, it feels like if he, if, if he can't go tonight, then game six looks pretty good. He wants to go, and we've seen time and time again this season with injuries that this team is more than likely to trust the player to know their own body and to say, I can go, I'm ready to go, let me out there and then adjust accordingly. So we'll see what happens. Again, Game 5, 8 o'clock, TNT in Miami. We're pumped. Uh, I have to get to this story from the Charlotte Observer and Rick Bennell. Uh, Michael Jordan releasing a statement uh, after after the Observer asked for an interview with with his heirness on... Uh, I'm back? Did it say I'm back? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Just check. I'm just wondering. If they... He's not. No. I can confirm. My and sources confirm. He's not back. He is not suiting up. Okay. No. Sorry. This was actually. Sorry. No. This was actually on House Bill Two, and uh, mm-hmm. I want to read his statement. Uh, this is uh, to Rick Bennell and the Charlotte Observer. Uh, Michael Jordan commenting on House Bill Two, the controversial bill, of course, that uh, could threaten the. Uh, all-star weekend in 2017 in Charlotte. Michael Jordan says, as my organization has stated previously, the Charlotte Hornets and Hornet Sports and Entertainment are opposed to discrimination in any form, and we have always sought to provide an inclusive environment. If that sounds familiar to fans, that is because it is the uh, word-for-word exact statement that the Hornets and Hornet Sports Entertainment released uh, after House Bill 2 went into effect and the NBA released their very strong statement and then the Hornets came out with that statement. Uh, David, he he used the the copy and paste function very effectively, but other than that, there's nothing really Great. new here yeah. other than the fact yeah. that Michael Jordan said it or or released the statement himself. Right. Yeah. 
And that's not unexpected. I mean, I don't think, considering the stance that the NBA has taken and had to clarify for some people in the last few weeks, um, it's, it's not exactly standing pat, but they're not exactly moving forward with any aggressive, new aggressive takes, right? And to me, it's always been that the Hornets and MJ are going to, at least to start, follow the lead of, of the league, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's interesting that, I mean, it seems like Michael Jordan was in a little bit of a corner here. He had to say something, and yeah. and so he just relied on the statement from the organization, and he's going to speak through the organization. Michael Jordan, if you don't know, as a player, was not very outspoken on political or social issues, and so that's what I think makes this most interesting uh, but you know I, I didn't expect anything uh, you know any fireworks uh, in terms of, of of something he had to say because he's a businessman and he approaches this I think from a very business-like perspective and it's a statement that will appeal to uh, people that are opposed to discrimination and there are a lot of those folks and I think it doesn't go so far as to really offend anyone who is for the House Bill 2, um, because it doesn't explicitly say anything about House Bill 2 in the statement. And I think that's that's important. The NBA is going very strong against this, and, and they're actively working to get that House Bill repealed. And, and I, I think you're right. I think the Charlotte Hornets are just sort of throwing their hands up a little bit and saying, look, you know, this doesn't affect the way we run our business and you know we're just going to let the NBA do its thing and 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 go from there. So, it's, but it is interesting. I think you know anytime um, his his airness speaks and, and releases a statement again on a political and social issue that that we don't hear from him on a lot. Uh, it's it's something to at least acknowledge. Yeah, I wonder, Doug. What do you think? Because I don't. I want to ask you this about leverage. I mean, we've talked about what kind of leverage the NBA has, and um, I think you've mentioned it just. Their position right now in, um, you know, taking their current stance of, you know, not not giving an ultimatum to kind of try and keep some of that leverage. I mean, the Hornets really don't. I mean, they really don't have any, right? I mean, I don't think the people in Raleigh care if they, if the if the Hornets are upset, you no. know, that the NBA no. All Star Game is, is not going to be here. So, um, on, on the one hand, you'd, you'd like to see them come out and maybe take a stronger stand, I guess, depending on what your you know, what your view is, but, and maybe they will. I just think right now, you know, you've even got the NBA saying, well, you know, we're going to try and work it out. And they had to come out and clarify that we've been through no, all that, but I don't so, expect, so I don't expect them to, to be there. Yeah. I don't expect them to take a stronger stand because again, you have to look at like mm-hmm. what, what, what would it benefit them to do that? It doesn't, it doesn't benefit right. them in, in terms of, of a, a business perspective to really take an extremely strong stand because the NBA is doing it. The NBA is doing it for them by proxy, shielding them exactly. in, in effect. Yeah. And that's what, a you know, yeah. the NBA, uh, I mean, Michael Jordan owns the Hornets, but it's all part of the NBA. The NBA is over everything, and they're in effect shielding. And they're talking. Their yeah. business I mean, interests. Yeah, talking. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. All right, I want to point out a few stats as we close this thing out. Uh, some interesting things that I, that I picked up along the way uh, as we head into Game 5 in Miami. Uh, the Hornets have been... Uh, really effective from the free throw line in games one and two they they were able to manufacture offense when when offense wasn't there 
and the defense wasn't there as well, unfortunately. But in games three and four, it continued. Through four playoff games, David Charlotte leads the NBA in the postseason in free throws made per game at 25.3. Free throws attempted per game at, listen to this, 30 free throws attempted per game. And free throw percentage at uh, 82.8%. In this series, Charlotte has outshot Miami from the free throw line in three of the four games. And uh, currently three Hornets players are averaging more than six free throw attempts per game in this series. Jeremy Lin, Kimball Walker, and... Nick Batum. So there's another factor in getting Nick Batum back. You get somebody that's going to help you get to the line. And certainly Jeremy Lin has picked up the free throw line um, slack from Nick Batum's absence and and really uh, allowing the Hornets to, again, manufacture offense when the three-point line was taken away. But uh, in, in terms of game five, how important is continuing to get to the line for this Hornets offense? It's going to be just as important, I think, as it's been this whole series. It's been the only way they've scored at times, especially in those first two games. And it kept them in, you know, most of all the games, really. So they're going to have to keep doing it. It's going to be interesting with all the, with all the noise going on around the fouls and, and the amount of fouls they've gotten, you know, obviously the heat were a bit perturbed by that. So we'll see what effect that has, but it can't stop the Hornets from being aggressive. They've got to keep going into the paint, especially Lynn and uh, Kimball Walker. Oh, the heat, listen, the heat have to guard without fouling. I mean, there's going to be missed calls both uh, ways. There's going to be missed calls both ways, but if you're Miami and there were some clear violations and fouls and, and the Hornets again, relentlessly attack the basket yeah. and beyond points, and beyond manufactured offense, what getting to the line does for the Hornets is, one, it gets key Miami Heat players in foul trouble. Goran Dragic, uh, Dwayne Wade, and and Hassan Whiteside, chief among them, getting them out of a groove, essentially. And Miami, you know, they've had some success slowing down the pace, but ideally they want to increase the pace. They want to get in, into transition because they have guys in Justice Winslow and Dwayne Wade and on and on that can finish in transition. And if you get to the free throw line, you stop the possession and you make them inbound the ball. And, you know, it's better. It's so much better than even a missed three-pointer, I think, because that missed three-pointer the Miami Heat can easily take that down the other way for a trans for a quick transition bucket. The free throw line attempts stop that, and it, you know even if you miss one of two, you've slowed the pace down. You've allowed your defense to get back and get set. So if the Hornets can continue to get to the line in Game Five, and and the referees don't listen to the noise from from these uh, conspiracy theorists in Miami, then I think the Charlotte Hornets they have a shot. I mean, they're going. They're going to have to dig out a win. I think it's going to be a close game, David. Uh, and- uh, I think it's going to be a battle. Yeah, I wonder if we talked about any slight adjustments Spolster might do to try and and stop some of that penetration. I wonder if he'll throw someone out there like a Gerald Green just to just a bump or just to give. I mean, Richardson's bigger than both of them, Kimball Walker and Lynn, really right now. But I wonder if that's a tactic he takes because, as we mentioned, he can't change it up too much and give away all these three-pointers, even though the Hornets haven't been winning. So we'll see. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Does he change something up to get the Hornets off balance again? Because, again, we talked about this last night, and I encourage everyone to go listen, HiveTalkLive.com, to the full show that we did last night. But the Hornets were a little reticent 
to shoot three-pointers when they had opportunities in game four because they are in this mindset now of attack the basket, attack the basket, attack the basket. If the Miami Heat come out and they sag a little bit, they they release the ball pressure a little little bit, I, I just don't know if the Hornets can immediately shift back into the mode that they've been playing in the regular season, and that could give the Miami Heat an opportunity to take a big lead in the first half if they can knock the Hornets' offense out of rhythm once more. So we'll see. It's going to be an interesting game. Again, that tip, 8 o'clock, TNT. We're looking forward to it. And of course, we're going to be on Twitter at Hive Talk Live, live tweeting this entire game. We're on a quest, folks. 2,000 followers by the finals. We have a signed a mini ball uh, signed by the team. We'll give that away to one of our Twitter followers if we can get to 2,000 by the finals. So do your part. Retweet those tweets that we send out uh, and uh, tell your friends to follow Hive Talk Live. David, thank you. And uh, guys, enjoy the game. Thanks for listening. Hive O'Clock Alarm. Until then, all hail the teal and purple.